gave his life to Jesus. And there was, there was just an almighty roar from our youth group. Um, everybody just was shouting, come on, Jack, as he was running to the front. And uh, it was just amazing. So can I just say a massive thank you for all of those who have prayed for us while we were there, for all those who have supported financially as well. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Corinthians was a letter written by uh, the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, and uh, he's just trying to teach them some stuff about what it means to be church, and uh, that's what we're going to look at this morning. We won't be too long on this, hopefully. I've already pressed the button, so the time is ticking away. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 13, it says this, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, We also believe, and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, the things that are seen are here today and gone tomorrow, but the things that are unseen last forever. Paul says, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke, we also believe and we also speak. He's quoting there from um, uh, the, I think it's from the prophets, and uh, his point is, is quite simply this, that faith cannot remain silent. That if we have faith, if there is something uh, of faith that stirs in us, then actually something at some point is bound to come out. If we believe something, it comes out. If we don't have much to say uh, about our Christianity, then maybe there's a challenge there as to actually how much faith we have in our Christianity. If we are silent about things of faith, maybe that's because we actually need to gain a little bit more faith. Maybe there is a challenge there for us that we need to engage more with things of faith so that we can get to a place where actually we do feel free and happy to speak about these things and to get them out there. Are you with me? Okay, three people are with me. Anybody else with me? Okay, that's good. He says that uh, the situation is this, that he is compelled by uh, the truth of the good news to actually say something about it to us. That, oh dear, may have, never mind, it's okay. That as his faith rises up, he is compelled to share with us things that will actually introduce us to and move us on in our relationship with God. He wants us to understand more of God and get further on that journey with him. Faith in what? Uh, you might ask. So what, what is this thing that compels Paul to speak? What is it that rises up in him? Well, he tells us in the next few verses. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you 
into his presence. What is he talking about? He's talking about our eternal hope. That the faith that he has is that having uh, found Jesus, having been introduced to him, having embarked on a relationship with him, our hope now looks forward into eternity, knowing that there will come a day when Jesus returned. And as Paul puts it elsewhere, the dead in Christ will rise first and then those who are alive will all be caught up together for a great big party in the skies. The dead will be raised. And um, those of us who are raised in faith will be raised to this great party in the sky and Jesus will lead us into eternity, into heaven, whatever that is going to look like. Okay, And we might spend some time on that on another occasion. But that is his faith. His faith is in Jesus to do all of that for us. His faith is that what Jesus has said he will do, he will do. And that's why he speaks. That's why he puts himself out there and brings the message that we should understand that Jesus is coming back that we should understand that it's our faith in him that when he comes back will cause us to be assuming that we've died at that point to be raised from the dead if we're not dead at that point whenever Jesus comes back then we will just be because we've put our faith in him caught up with him forever uh, to go into eternity that is the Christian hope that actually uh, there is something significant about our relationship and, and our journey in this life, our relationship with God, what it all leads us to take us to that place uh, where we have confidence that when Jesus comes, he will take us with him. To have confidence that he's coming. Are you with me? And that's where Paul's faith is. His faith is in both resurrection and ascension. That we will be raised in Christ and that we will ascend into heaven to be with him for eternity. And it's because of that faith that he speaks. And he kind of bundles all of this up together, the whole of creation, the whole of faith, the whole of all of this stuff. He bundles it all together and he says this about it. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, the objective of all of this is you. Hello? That God does all of this for you. That the whole point of faith is that the grace of God touches you, touches your life, and draws you to Him. In fact, the whole of the creation is about you. In fact, everything that God has done and purposed since before the beginning of time, it's all been about you. It's been about you uh, taking that journey of life, being born into this world. It's about you coming to know Jesus and understand that God loves you and has a plan for your life and coming into relationship with him so that you, as you enjoy that journey and as you, as you engage with faith, as you take that journey, that you then start to bless God and to, uh, to show his glory in your life. Paul, Paul describes it like this. He says that it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. In other words, everything that we see around us, the whole creation, the whole work and the purpose of God is to bring us to that place where we understand his wonderful, incredible love for us, his great plan for our lives, his desire for us, and that that would draw out of us thanksgiving which will glorify him. And that's the thanksgiving, that's the bit about not being silent, that's the bit about faith speaking, that we are so thankful for what God has done for us, we are so thankful for his hand on our lives, for the way he has touched us and drawn us and healed us and helped us that actually the only thing that we can do is give thanks are you with me okay I've had it said to me on more than one occasion 
you know, why, Dave, do you sometimes in worship jump around like an idiot? Why are you always the first to your feet? Why do you clap louder than anybody else? (laughs) Why do I do it? Because when we come to worship, the thing that is in my heart is thanksgiving for what God has done. And as we come together to worship, that's the best possible time to get all of that out and to give thanks to God and to acknowledge that actually all the great stuff that has gone on in my life has been because God loves me and not because of anything that I've done. That all the wonderful things and the wonderful places uh, that I've seen, all the wonderful friends that I have, everything has been the orchestration of God to bless me. And so when I come into the house of worship, what I want to do actually is worship. What I want to do is celebrate the goodness of God. What I want to do is give thanks to Him for all of His goodness, for everything that He has done. And to you that might look a little bit crazy, but let me tell you, I've watched football matches on the TV and they look a little bit crazy to me. You know? Somebody scores and everybody is jumping up and down like a lunatic. Everybody is kissing and hugging in each other. Everybody, you know, people are trying to run onto the pitch and wave flags and scarves and all sorts of things because their team has scored a goal. Let me tell you, that's just sport. We're talking here about matters of life and death and eternity and God has done something incredibly wonderful for us. Why would we not celebrate it with enthusiasm and with a passion? It's just completely obvious to me. But it's all about bringing out this act of thanksgiving that we would be uh, giving glory to God and displaying his glory amongst one another. And, and Paul also says something very interesting here. He talks about the extension of grace. He says, as grace extends. In other words, as our lives are touched by the glory of God, as our lives are touched by the goodness of God, because of the grace of God, that grace is supposed to then spill out of us so that other people start to experience that grace of God, so that other people start to experience God's hand on their life and all the goodness that comes from that. So that the grace extends. It keeps moving out. It keeps touching more and more lives. Now listen, some people, uh, you know, some people I talk to at least, really don't want that. They're not the slightest bit interested. I'm not going to fight. Alright? Are you with me? I'm not going to bully anybody into the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to be, you know, engaging in arguments that people don't want to have. Are you with me? But... As people see in our lives the goodness of God and the way God has changed us and the way God has dealt with us and as he, the way he pours his favor out on us and have questions about it, I want to have those conversations that help grace to extend, that help grace to move out. That as people see the work of God and have questions about God, those are the conversations we ought to be engaging in and helping people to see what a great God we serve and how wonderfully he has touched our lives, how wonderfully he has blessed us. And, and that's where we must not be silent. And that's where this grace must extend and move out to other people. Are you with me? Are you getting this? Because some of us are not very good at this. And so we need a little bit of a boost in our faith level. We need a little bit of a boost in our experience of God and in our relationship with God that brings us to that place where actually we can't help ourselves. Would you like that? Yeah, two of you. Okay. <laughs> Come on. It's better than that. I want to tell you, uh, this, 
if not for Jesus, I would probably be dead. I would probably have been dead a long time. Even as a teenager, I had set myself on a path of destruction. Even as a teenager, I had set my life towards things that were ultimately going to put me in an early grave. I had decided that the things that I wanted out of life and the things that I was going to pursue in life, you know, I, I had made my mind up what those things were. And, and as I look back, I can see clearly that all of those things would have killed me. All of those things would have made my life miserable, difficult, but it would have made it more miserable and more difficult for the people around me, particularly my family, and would ultimately have put me in an early grave. And if it wasn't for the intervention of Jesus, that's where I would be. If it wasn't for the fact that he came and stuck his hand on my life and said, no son, that's not what my plan for you is. I've got a better plan. My plan is that you'll have life. My plan is that you will find something worth living for. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be here. And you know, the same is true for many people in this room this morning. That if God had not intervened, who knows where we would have been? Who knows what state we would have been in? Who knows if we would still be around or whether we would have put ourselves into an early grave? Who knows, you know, the distress that could have happened had God not intervened in our lives? But God has intervened. And so we give Him glory and we give Him thanks and we take whatever opportunities He gives us to share that wonderful stuff with other people. Yes? Yes. Uh, Paul says, you know, in light of all of this, he says, so we do not lose heart. Why do we not lose heart? We don't lose heart because God is good. Because faith stirs us to hope and moves us on to bigger and better things and and enriches our lives and helps us to become that which God created us to be, helps us to do the things that God has called us to do. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. The things of the world, including our flesh, grow old and wither. Hello? You know, if you're young, uh, you probably don't realize that at the minute. But, you know, speaking as an old bloke, <laughs> you know, things don't work as well as they used to. You know, my, my body is decaying. My body in all sorts of ways is getting older and uh, in all sorts of ways is getting less useful. It's, I started noticing it slowing down when I hit my 50s. Um, next year I'm hitting my 60s and it really is starting to slow down. The things of the yeah, my hair, the hair's all fallen out as you can see today. Um, the things of the world grow old and decay and we can do nothing about it. But Paul says, though those things, our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Now, you know, when things grow old, or when things have had a lot of use, they start to break down. And sometimes we can fix things so that they work for a little bit longer. Sometimes we can replace bits and pieces so that they can work a little bit longer. You know, these days the, the, the technology, particularly in, in health services, is phenomenal. You know, if your hip stops working, well, we'll just stick a new hip in. That's easy. Goodness me. It's incredible, isn't it? But these things are only temporary. These things are transient. They don't last forever. You can fix it, but you can't make it like it was new. You can't make the things that are growing old and, and are decaying, you can't make those things back like they were 30 years ago. You can fix them up so they work a bit longer, but you can't make them new. Only God makes things new. 
And what Paul says to us here is, though the outer self is wasting away, the inner self is being made new every day. That actually in my spirit, I am actually being made new every day. Something brilliant happens every day that God comes and touches myself and there's a new me. There's a stronger me. There's a happier me. There's a more fulfilled me. There's a, there's a, a new me that engages better with the world and the things that God has for me to do in it. There is something new. There is a new sense of thanksgiving every day that rises up. There is a new sense of worship every day that rises up in me because every day God is making things new. The world cannot do that. Only God can make things new. When I was 17 and I came to faith, I put my faith in Jesus, even at the age of 17, there was stuff that was old and broken and not working properly anymore. And Jesus came and he made those things new. I became a new person. The Bible calls it a new creation. It says it's like being born again. It was made new. Only God can do that. We can fix stuff up. We can make it last a little bit longer, but only God makes things new. Our spirit can be renewed daily if we come to him. And Paul says that in light of all of this, the struggles that we face, the battles that we face, kind of start to fade into insignificance. He says, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look to the things that are, that are not seen but to the things that as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen what is he saying this journey has its fair share of trouble this journey even though it's the journey of faith and even though god is blessing us and helping us has its fair share of challenges and has its twists and turns and its ups and downs But Paul says that these things, when we realize what God is doing, when we realize how God is at work and how God is working through these things, we start to see these things as light and momentary. Actually, these things are just minor blips on the landscape that that make life difficult for a little while. But in the midst of the difficulty, we learn something and we grow. Paul says they are preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In other words, the trials and tribulations in life, the difficulties that we face, the battles that we have to fight, are working something on the inside of us that are fitting us and preparing us for heaven. And the glory of that far outweighs any trial or tribulation that we might have to face in this life. In other words, if we can get this perspective, we will live our lives rejoicing, let me tell you. If we can get this perspective, life will change. That all of the rubbish that life throws at us, all of the difficulties that we face, all of the battles that we have to fight, are working something inside of us as we come to God over those things that make us stronger, that make us better, that make us different people, that shape us more into what God wants us to be and prepare us for our eternal destiny. And it seems to me that that is what this life is about. It's not just about this life. That that this life is, is designed to prepare us for the next life. If you're going to prepare somebody for a better life, if you're going to shape them for something spectacular, in the hope that they will live up to it and and get every little bit of benefit out of it, you don't do that by making their life easy and comfortable. 
Because if life is easy and comfortable, we just sit on our sofas and roll up into a cozy little ball, and that's where we stay. Hello? Now, I know nobody here does that. I think the curse of, uh, of this century is me time. The, the me, 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 me time. That we think that, you know, it's all about us and our comfort and things that help me and bless me and do me good. And so, therefore, that's where I want to spend my life. And anything that doesn't fit in with that, we think it's bad. We want to get it out of our lives. But actually, God sees things differently. Because Paul doesn't teach us that these light and momentary troubles shouldn't be there. He sees them as part of the deal. This is part of the course. That these things are put in our way because it draws something good or should draw something good out of us. And in the drawing of those good things out of us, it shapes us and changes us so that we become better people. That's why God puts the difficulties in our way. It's about us maturing and developing. I've said this lots of times. I'm going to say it again. My, my old grandmother always used to say, smooth seas do not make skillful sailors. And that's the truth. If you've, ever, if you've only ever sailed on a smooth sea, you don't really know how to sail. But when the waves kick up and the wind starts howling and the boat starts rocking and reeling, that's when you really learn how to sail. When the difficulties of life come along, they are designed to draw something out of us that helps us to become better people to the glory of God. And that's what Paul wants us to see. These afflictions, as he calls them, um, however we uh, experience them and whatever we see them to be, whatever they are in our lives, are light and momentary. Why? Because they're here temporarily to do a job in our lives to fit us for heaven. And so therefore... In the middle of all of this, what should we, re- what should we do? <laughs> we should rejoice, actually. Now that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? I'm really battling here. This is really difficult. This, this is knocking me for six. But actually, Paul tells us in another place, he says, rejoice. And again, I say it, just in case you didn't get it the first time, rejoice. What does it mean to rejoice? The Greek word that, that Paul uses there, it actually has to do with celebration. With It, it implies kind of, you know, dancing and partying. And that's what the word rejoice means. Remains? That's what rejoice remains. <laughs> that when we are facing these, these troubles in our lives, that actually we can rejoice because we understand that they are momentary, that they don't last forever. That in comparison to what God is doing, they are lightweight. And that actually in this process, we are becoming what God wants us to be because he is using these things to shape us and change us into what he created us to be. He is shaping us for heaven. He's preparing us for eternity where we will live in the immediate and intimate, glorious presence of God he is preparing us for that and if we know that that's our destiny if we know that's where we're going then these things that beset us in life become light and momentary we see them as that and understand that they're not here forever but they're here to help us to shape us to bring out something good in us and then Paul at the end of the passage that we read says this for the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal The things that are seen are here today and gone tomorrow. 
God wants you to see that the world is transient. Now, I know there's some stuff, you know, in the Bible that talks prophetically about a new heaven and a new earth, and one day we'll actually we'll get to that, and we'll talk about what all of that means. But the world as you know it is transient. This world as you experience it today is not going to last. It's not designed to last. God's plan goes away beyond that. But this world, and when I talk about the world, I'm not just talking about the geography. I'm talking about the culture, the, uh, our experience of life, the life that we live, the, the things that we um, focus on in life, and the things that we hold to be good and bad and indifferent and all of those sorts of things, um, that actually none of that is g- going to last. It's transient. It's temporary. The problem is this. That you and I, because we're stuck in this life, at least for the time being, start to make the transient things of this life the important things. So our focus moves from what God wants onto what we want. In other words, this world makes us selfish. And we let it. Okay, so just in case you think I'm blaming the world for all of this, (laughs) the fact is, you and I let it. We let it make us selfish. We buy into this, okay? We buy into the idea that what, you know, it's good to, you know, own the biggest car, the flashiest car on the block. It's good to live in the biggest house on the block. It's good to earn the most money. It's good to have the best looking wife or girlfriend, you know. It's good to have the best educated kids. It's good. All of these things that the world throw at us. Now listen, none of those things in themselves are bad things. Okay, it's not bad, sinful or wrong to own a nice car. It's not bad, sinful or wrong to live in a nice house. So don't hear me say that. All right. But what I am saying is this, that these things, because of the culture that we live in, start to become our focus. They start to become the things that are most important to us. And God says that actually is foolishness because those things are transitory. They are not going to last. You will not be able to take your big house or your flashy car into heaven with you. Hello? And so our focus needs to move from those things that we see right in front of us to the things that are unseen. In other words, our focus needs to move from worldly stuff to spiritual stuff. That actually the most important things for us are to discover Jesus. The most important thing for us is to discover him and then to discover why he created us. Uh, One writer, I I can't remember who it was, I got a feeling it might have been Mark Twain, but I could be wrong, said that the two most important days in in his life were this. The first one was discovering Jesus. And the second one was discovering why Jesus made him. And that's the truth of it. Those are the two most important days in your life. When you discover Jesus for yourself and your life changes forever, and then you discover what he made you for, what he built you for, what his purpose for your life is. And when you discover that, you can live with a sense of purpose. When you discover that, you can live with hope. When you discover that, you become a giant among men and women. Because there's nothing to dissuade you because your focus is on Jesus and what he can do and what he's built you for and where he's going to take you and how he's going to shape you and mold you and how he's going to take you on that journey into eternity and how you're going to be ready for all of that because of what he's done. 
You're not going to make that if your focus is on this world. Because you'll be too busy pursuing the things of this world rather than pursuing the things of God. And that's the challenge that Paul lays out for us. That's why he's telling us all of this. The things that are seen are transient. They will not last. You can pursue them if you want, but you are investing your life into something which is not ultimately going to be there. It is transient. It's not going to last. But the things that are unseen are eternal. The things that are spiritual, the things that are, in in that sense, pursuing God, are things that will make an eternal difference. And those things last forever. The things of the Spirit are eternal. And Paul's challenge to us in all of this is, is simply this, that we should pursue the things that will last. That we should not be deceived by the world, by the culture that we live in, but that we should understand that God has a better, bigger, more spectacular plan for our lives than that. That actually, if you understand this, all of a sudden, the flashy car and the big house and the big pay packet all start to become insignificant. And you kind of find yourself in that place where actually it's really great if God blesses me with that, but actually if it doesn't, it's not a problem. Because what's more important is my relationship with Him and pursuing Him and His purposes. Because I am sowing seeds there that will reap an eternal harvest. Because I'm pursuing something there which is going to last forever. And if we can move our our paradigm a little bit over to there, if if we can shift the way that we think from the culture of the world to the culture of heaven, and move our focus from these things which sit right in front of our faces to the spiritual things, the unseen things which are eternal, our lives will change beyond recognition. And our sense of worth and our sense of purpose and our sense of calling and our hope and our vision and our future all suddenly take on uh, an incredible weight and become something which actually is quite spectacular if we get that right. Paul challenges us not to focus, not to look at, not to pursue the things that are seen, but to give ourselves to the things that are not seen. I'm nearly done, so don't worry. But I just want to say this. That sometimes is not a simple journey. There are all sorts of things that we have to deal with, bridges that we have to cross, things that we need to learn and understand. But actually the start of that journey is about as simple as it gets. That to engage with the purposes of God for your life, to discover the reason that you were born and to begin to live that out in a place of hope and fulfillment begins with meeting Jesus how do I meet Jesus actually that's quite simple as well God gave us this uh, wonderful tool that we can use he calls it prayer when we pray we speak to Jesus and we can come to Jesus and, and all he wants to hear from us is this he wants to hear that we're sorry for our sin the Bible calls that Repenting Sin, if you're not quite sure what sin is, sin is anything that you have ever thought or said or done that has offended God. Sin is not just robbing banks and you know, murder and that sort of thing, which a lot of people seem to think it is, but actually anything that you have done. If you've ever told a lie, you've sinned. If you've ever stolen something, 
you know, even if it was just a pencil from the stationery cupboard at work, you know, all of this stuff is sin, and we all do it, and and that's kind of the point, actually, that we all do it. And and Jesus, all he's interested in hearing is you coming and saying, actually, I'm sorry for that, and I'm going to turn away from that. I'm going to try to do better, and I'm going to put my faith in you, both to save me and to help me in this. And that's where it starts. That's what opens the door. As we come to Jesus and put our faith in him, tell him that we're sorry for all the stuff that we've done that we shouldn't have done, that we're looking to him to help us to become better. As we put our faith in him, the Bible tells us this. It says that as we put our faith in him, we are saved. That as we put our faith in him, we are born again. We get a fresh start. That everything that has gone before is swept away and we get a clean slate, a fresh start to help us to follow him. And that's the beginning of the journey. And for some of us today, that's where we're at. We're facing that beginning of the journey. And it's just a matter of making that choice to follow him. For those of us who have already made that choice, who have put our faith in Jesus, the challenge for us today is to review our lives, is to review where we're at, and to be sure that what we're doing is pursuing the things that will last, and not pursuing the things that are only transient, that will at some point waste away and not be there. Are you with me? Okay, I'm going to pray, so let's stand, and then we can go and get some lunch, and uh, some of us can get our heads finished. Let's pray. I'm going to pray, but you know, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, you can say amen. Uh, Amen simply means I agree. Uh, You can pray that out loud if you want, or you can just say it quietly in the privacy of your own heart. doesn't matter which, but um, I'll be the one doing the praying. But if you agree, then let's just let an amen happen somewhere. Yeah? So Jesus, we want to thank you. Lord, for everything that you've done for us. That you died so that we can live. That in your death, the price of all of my sin is paid and I can be set free because of what you've done. And this morning, I come to you in repentance and say, Lord, I'm sorry for everything that I've ever thought or said or done that has offended you. I ask you to forgive me. And this morning, I put my faith in you. This morning, I decide in my heart, in my mind, in my spirit, that I will follow you, my creator and my savior. And I pray that to that end you would help me, that you would cause me to be born again, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and your power, and that you would help me to become everything that you created me to be. And as I make this journey and deal with all the twists and the turns in it, I pray, Lord, that you would help me, that you would keep drawing me back to that place where I refocus on you and understand that I must invest in that which is eternal, that I must pursue that which will last, that you would stir something in me even this morning that would help me to just rise up and pursue you with more enthusiasm so that I can become everything that you created me to be and so that I can give you glory. Now I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that the Lord would cause his face to shine upon you, that the Lord would show you favor and that he would fill your life with peace.
to the glory of God. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.